Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and sometimes people who just have fascinating stories. With this episode, we conclude our four-part series focusing on the importance of local television news. Today, we examine the role of the assignment desk manager. We talk with Ramsey Fulbright of WCPO in Cincinnati. Ramsey is the person in charge of getting reporters and photographers to both breaking news and regular story locations. Your title is assignment desk manager, and uh, I know that means different things, different places. for a lay audience, what does that mean? What do you do at WCPO? So I am, um, well, really my, my team, what my team does is kind of filter all of the news that comes into the newsroom. So we've got press releases that hit our email inbox. We've got the people that actually call the phone there. We've got, you know, they basically have all of these outside sources of information all flowing in from various places. And then it's our job to kind of filter through all that stuff, get rid of the, you know, the PR pitch about National Ice Cream Day that nobody the, really cares about. The, the and, crap. Uh, get the yeah, crap out. Yeah, get the crap out of there and then figure out what the real news is. Um, and then we also, you know, we do all of the logistics for the day. Um, so we kind of, once we've kind of determined like, all right, these are the big stories for today. These are the, you know, the actual news or the items happening that we want to cover. Then we have to say, all right, so we've got, you know, X number of reporters, X number of photographers. So how do we uh, how do we pair things up and get people to different places at different times and uh, and make the the puzzle of the day, so to speak, where we can uh, can get all of those things covered and accomplished and uh, and on air on time, uh, make those happen. Um, and then, of course, there is always the the breaking news aspect, which, which throws is, a uh, monkey wrench into everything, right? Well, it does. You know, we have our, our morning editorial meeting at nine thirty in the morning. And so at 10 o'clock, I have this nice, beautiful plan for the day, and then all of a sudden, breaking news happens at 1045, and that entire plan, you might as well just rip it into 10,000 pieces and throw it in the air. Right. Um, but frankly, I think that's what the fun part is. I mean, the, the breaking news is kind of what, what gets the adrenaline pumping. It's where you get to stand up and yell across the newsroom like, hey, I need you out the door right now. Get so, up the road, you know. So, so you got this position. You came from uh, being chief photographer. You know, so – all of that tells me that you must just be an adrenaline junkie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is that is very accurate. Um, the the breaking news aspect of things has always been my favorite part of this job, you know. But also as as a journalist, 
I never know what my day holds when I walk in the door in the morning. And I don't know a lot of people that can say that about their job. Right. I mean, I'm sure that everybody has a little bit of diff- variation in their workday, but I mean, I could be going to the zoo to shoot a story about kangaroos, or I could be on the scene of some horrible major crime that, you know, all of the major national athletes are going to descend upon that week. Um, I mean, it's just like the, the, you know, the absolute no idea of what your day holds portion of this job. You have no idea what you're going to be doing, but you do know that you're going to have time deadlines to get it done. Absolutely. (laughs) Which adds another layer of, of adrenaline or expectation on top of it. Well, and personally, I work so much better under a deadline. If you give me a task and say, you know, hey, get this done, whenever Whatever. you finish it, that thing will never get done. <laughs> it will never be finished. It's not going to be until you've, you know, asked me three times, like, all right, I need that thing by five o'clock tonight. Oh, great. I can do that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I, I, I can hit my mark. But if you just leave it up to me, it'll get done whenever I feel like it's the most important thing on my plate. And. The most important thing on my plate is the thing that has the next deadline, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) What's coming up next? Um, I'd I'd like to talk about terminology a little bit for the average listener out there that knows nothing about your craft or your business. Um, People used to talk about cameramen, uh, TV cameramen. Then they talked about TV videographers. And now we see the term photographer in all of the terminology. Have those terms morphed over the years? Are they still relevant? Are they different? How do they really work in reality? So really, I think most of those terms are still interchangeable for the most part. I mean, if I say, you know, I'm going to send a cameraman up there or I'm going to send a photographer or I'm going to send a – I use a lot of times I'll just shorten and say I'm going to send a photog. <laughs> yeah, um, right. You know, I, I feel like those all work pretty well interchangeably. Um, I, you know, I don't think there's been a, a huge evolution of the terms really where I feel like the uh, the terms have changed are with uh, what we call MMJs right now or multimedia journalists. And, you know, that's basically somebody that's, that's the reporter and the photographer all wrapped in one. Um, and so they're they're shooting and writing and editing all their own stuff. And that's gone through several changes. It, once upon a time, they called them one-man bands. And then it was the backpack journalist yeah. and then the MMJ. <laughs> um, so, so that's the one where I feel like you have, you've had lots of different uh, – different evolution of terms. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I've ever heard anybody since whenever it was 10 years ago, use the term backpack journalist. No. If I said no. that now, they'd say, huh? What? Yeah, I, I get a funny look. So uh, the visual part of the business though, obviously people see what they see on television and that's apparent to them. But the visual part of the business is so much broader now with, with digital, correct? Yeah, I mean, the, the digital space has, has really changed a whole lot. And um, well, I guess I, I can't really do a, a, a motion here yeah, on a but podcast. But, you know, you, your TV is in 16 by 9. It's, it's a horizontal screen. Uh, well, now the huge percentage of what people are consuming is on an iPhone or an Android, on a, on a handheld device that is the other way. You know, it's, it's that, that vertical video. Yeah. Um, and so that's actually had to change a lot of what we're trying to produce and create because we, for the longest time, always said, make sure you hold your phone horizontally when you're shooting videos so that it fits a TV screen. But now, 
the TV screen is not the primary place where a lot of people are consuming our media. Um, I mean, personally, I don't think TV is not going away. People aren't going to stop, you know, watching the television on the wall after dinner. Right. Um, but you you need to cater to those different audiences in those different places. And I think particularly with the with the younger demographic, I mean, I don't I think you would be hard pressed to walk down this hallway here and find an OU student that watches the six PM local news on their television none, every night. None. Yeah. There's there's not a single not one even of them. the ones who are doing it at six thirty live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so but I mean I think you could find a lot of them who have you know, watched a press conference stream on their phone or, you know, watched Joe Burrow's latest, uh, you know, latest video that we put up of him or something like that. So it's a, it's part of it is trying to reach a different audience. And part of it is just that generally the audience is consuming media on different platforms and in different ways. But as the person who's capturing those images, does your eye have to change? Do, do you look at things differently? You know, I don't really think so. Um, the the way I look at things from from the standpoint of somebody capturing the video um, has to do more with the different tools that I have available to me now that maybe I didn't once upon a time. And so by that, I mean, I still have a, a big shoulder-mounted 25-pound, you know, TV camera that you normally think about. But I've also, now I've got a GoPro and I've got this thing, it's called an Osmo that's kind of like a GoPro, just a little more robust, but similar in size. It's a little handheld thing that you can move around and fly around people with. You've got drones that you're flying with now. So as, as much as anything, as far as the, the shooting is concerned, it's more of a, a standpoint of we have so many different tools that we can use now to get these various things. I mean, like, I can take an iPhone now and stick it underwater and get video. I would have needed a $10,000 camera housing to get an underwater shot before. Right. Um, and so really it's it's... We have the ability now to take the viewer to places that they would have never been able to go and see before because of the limitations of our equipment previously. Okay. That being, that being said, what is the value or is there still value in still images? I mean, I think there's still value, value in still images. Um, I, I would – it would probably take me a minute to pinpoint exactly what I think that that value is, but do they resonate digitally? You know, a, a still image as opposed to I don't have time to watch video, but I can I can look at something that's. that's I, I think it definitely does, and part of it is, you know, if you're going to watch a video on our website, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to watch a 25 second advertisement before that video plays, right? Um, if you click into a story and there's a still image there you get the the instant gratification that you're after. And it certainly depends on what it is. You know, do I want to see a still image of, you know, the last touchdown from the playoff game? Probably not. I'd probably rather see the video highlight. Um, but, you know, if I've got a, you know, if, I've, if I'm just at a crime scene or something like that, you know, is, is a flashing police light and crime tape going to look that much different in video than it does in the still? I mean, maybe so, maybe not. Um, but again, I think it's all kind of... De- depends on what people are after. Um, if you're if you're looking for information, you probably want the text underneath the image as much as anything else. You know, you want that, that web story um, as opposed to the actual image that you're looking at. Um, but I, I mean, I think there is, there are places for both. Um, as a TV station, we don't deal as often in still images as we do with video. Um, but that's just because it's not really our medium. 
Um, now on our website, we always will have a have a big thumbnail at the top of the top of the website, and certainly those are important. I mean, if you're looking at a story on our on our app or on our site, and you see, you know, a stock image of a gavel versus a photo of the actual you know event that took place, you know, one of those is going to make you more inclined to click on that story than the other. I think. So, with with that being said. You know, if if you look at video, uh, studies have come out uh, just recently that the Gen Z population has a one-second attention span on a video to make that make decisions whether to watch the rest of it or not. Now, I assume that they've either clicked through or somehow got around or got through the twenty-five second ad <laughs> that, that you're that you're talking about. How does that play into the presentation of news video? Shorter videos, are they important? You know, you know. I mean, I think as much as anything, it means that we need to differentiate our product. Um, we're still going to have that standard, you know, minute 30, minute 45 second TV news story that'll go on television and on our website. Um, but kind of like what I talked about a little bit earlier with the, you know, the mobile devices and things like that. I mean, we're going to put reels on Instagram where we shorten it up and put it into, you know, maybe a 15 or 20 second vertical video that people can watch on their phone. And really it just comes down to, you know, we're still going to create the same thing we always have. It may look a little different, um, but then we're going to create a, another version and an extra piece of that pie um, for, for different devices and different platforms. Um, so whether that's Instagram or TikTok or, you know, Facebook or something like that, um, that, that I feel like is the place where we're going to put those, you know, shorter form, quick but, hitter videos. But do you feel like you have to hit all of those media to, to slice and dice your audience or to uh, expand your audience or keep your audience? Well, I think that's – to some degree, I think that's story dependent. Um, you know, because certain fragments of our audience care about different things, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, am I going to take the latest federal court case about, you know, Larry Householder in Ohio and try and boil that down to a 15-second Instagram video? Probably not. But then again, you know, the the age range of people generally consuming us on Instagram is is much lower. And do they even care about that story? I mean, some will, but I imagine that it's not a huge percentage. Um, and so I think there's some degree of like, okay, well, we need to identify which stories play best on which platforms. Okay. But do you – in news, not just you. <laughs> I'm doing this broadly. It, it, do you pander to some outlets? Do you maybe cover a story that would resonate on Instagram or TikTok that – you wouldn't cover any other time. Just maybe, to maybe get that sometimes, audience. Sometimes, but I wouldn't think that happens particularly frequently. Okay. Um, as much as anything, I mean, we don't really have the resources to be able to say, okay, well, this is a story that we're just going to have you do for you know some of these other platforms, but eh, that doesn't really work for TV. We don't, we don't have enough people to try and divvy up the. The, the resources like that, frankly. You try to take your bread and butter and then slice it and dice it to, yes, to hopefully make it... meet as many different audience groups as possible. Absolutely. 
That's got to be a challenge, though. Oh, it is a challenge. And I think, you know, emerging technologies and the constantly evolving landscape of how media works is uh, is kind of, you know, the, the big problem right now for, for station leadership and, and anybody in television. You know, I, I always kind of say, like, my, my thought is always, what do we have to do to not go the way of the newspaper? Yeah. Um, you know, the, and like I said, I don't think, and I mean, maybe someday, but I don't think we're in danger anytime soon of people not sitting in a living room and watching their television set. I mean, that that's going to still happen. But I don't watch six o'clock news. Yeah. Or the five o'clock news. I'm not home by then. I don't, I don't have an interest. I'm doing other things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a situation where instead of having, you know, a very loyal watcher who tunes in at six o'clock every single night, every, you know, five days a week. Instead, we're running into people that, you know, they watch five or 10 minutes of the newscast because they were watching whatever was on before it and they stuck through it. And maybe they do that, you know, once a week. Or I heard bad weather's coming. <laughs> well, weather is always the number one driver yeah. of an audience every single time. Yeah. And we actually, we did make a, uh, a video last week. We, uh, we predicted a Heck of a snowstorm, and then the uh, the warm air shifted up a little bit, and our northern northern area still got some snow. But I woke up in the morning, and I actually asked my wife, "I said, hey, how bad's my drive going to be? Is it snowy out there?" And she said, "Not a flake." And I was like, <laughs> "Huh, no kidding." So um, missed that one. <laughs> well, but we uh, we did a big long web article that we sure. had our meteorologist write about uh, about what happened in the forecast and and how what it changed. changed and how you know how the, the line basically that delineated where it would change from rain to snowfall shifted just slightly north and split the center of town. And then we created a vertical Instagram-style video that was roughly 20 seconds long that took that whole article and boiled it down to some something that, you know, maybe a Gen Zer with a short attention span could consume quickly to understand the story. Um, and, I mean, the, the problem that I think you run into there is – with something like weather where I can boil it down to three major bullet points and say, you know, this, this, and this happened, this was the result, it's easy to do that. But when you get into some of these kind of deeper, longer-form stories that have a little more depth to them, it is difficult to provide depth on a story in 15 seconds. Sure. Um, so that's really, though, I think, you know, a lot of this is how do we get people in the door? You know, maybe they're watching these Instagram videos and they click the link and now they're reading our full digital write-up. You know, maybe, you know, they see our push alert and now all of a sudden they're watching the live stream that we have up. Um, and so it's it's really uh, how do we use these different tools to pull people into to the other things that we are creating? We talked about technology and, and things changing, um, I think. We're on the cusp of major change with AI becoming much more readily available and, and people understanding it a little bit, but yet not knowing how it's going to play out in our business. Through all of those advents of technology, how important is transparency now in what you do? to building a trust factor and audience loyalty? Well, I mean, I don't know that there is anything as important as transparency right now. I mean, okay. being... It's like number one. Accuracy and transparency, I think, are probably the two biggest things. Okay. I mean, obviously, we have to be accurate. If we're, if we're out there sure. not being accurate, then 
trust erodes. Right. Um, so that that's number one. But particularly because of the political climate and the kind of, you know, the growing distrust in media, I think that having transparency is is one of the most important parts. And we, in fact, we talk a lot at our station about process journalism. Okay. What and, do you uh, mean by that? Well, what we mean by that is kind of showing you the process of the story. So instead of, you know. How we make the sausage. Instead of just me just going and doing an interview with you and then putting the interview, having the, well, today we walked up to Tom's house and we knocked on the door and he didn't answer. But it, later he gave us, I mean, like kind of showing them the whole process of what we did to make this story come together. Um, and I feel like if we can do more of that, it helps to rebuild that trust and to show people, you know, this this is how we are doing this. This is how we got the information that we have. And now we are presenting it to you as one, one big piece to, for you to see. Um, and I think the more we can, you know, kind of draw back the curtain and let people see what's happening, you know, the easier it will be to rebuild public trust in media. Do, do you think some of the things like AI and other other uh, technological advancements will uh, make that even more important, you know, it, it, to, to show that transparency? I mean, if I see an image now, I don't know whether it's real. If I see a video, I don't know whether it's real. Uh, I'm not a fake news proponent, uh, just the opposite. But how do I know that that that's real? You know, how do I know? Well, and I mean, I guess really the answer is you don't know. I mean, you, you can't but, know. But can if you? I have trust in in your station, if I have trust in the product, if I have trust in your transparency, that would heighten my ability. Exactly. So I mean, that's that's what we have to continue to do is you know try and continue to build trust in in our brand f- through the public, and you do that by being accurate. And not being misleading. I mean, I frankly, I feel like building a brand that people can trust is not hard. It, you just have to do the same thing that good journalists have always done and be right. Um, you know, don't don't speculate, don't guess. You know, figure out what the story is and report it accurately. And if you can do that, and also give people the ability to kind of see how you're coming to those conclusions and bringing forth those facts to them, I think that you know you'll retain their trust. And then at that point, um, you know, especially if AI continues to take off and we do get into a world where you just have, you know, what's real and what's not, well, then hopefully people say, well, I trust these people. They've done right by me for long enough that I will accept that what they're showing me is real. Do you, do you find all the, the new technology that's coming out uh, exciting and, and at going to add to your potential creativity? You know, I'm sure it will. As far as, I mean, we've talked a little bit about AI. I don't feel like AI has really made it into our realm much. Um, I I've, Personally, I have not used it in any way, shape, or form in a work capacity. Uh-huh. Um, do I think that it could at some point make it there? I mean, I saw an article this week that an AI lawyer is going to argue a court case. <laughs> so, I mean... Sure, it could happen, I guess, but um, but I, I'm not sure exactly how that would work yet. I'm insanely interested to know how it would work, um, but that that's kind of the the fun part about this business. I mean, 30 years ago, if you'd told somebody that they'd be able to watch TV in the palm of their hand, I don't know that they would necessarily believe you. That's true. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you before I let you go, and and that is uh, audience appetites. 
have they changed? And you're in a new position now where you're controlling a lot of what goes on the air and deciding what's being covered. Uh, talk about audience appetites today for news as maybe 10 years ago or five years ago or earlier in your career. So, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, preferences have changed some, um, but I think the the big drivers for people to, to our content, I don't think have really changed all that much. Um, I mean, weather. Yeah. Weather is always number one. People want to know, is, is it going to snow? Is it going to rain? What do I need to dress the kids up in today? Right. Um, so that's never going to change. We're always going to be the number one spot that people are going to go to when they want their local weather. Um, and then beyond that, I always... I always spend the beginning of part of my day identifying, you know, what is the biggest, most important story to the people that live in our city right now? And obviously that changes every day, but I don't think that those, that the big story of the day has generally had much shift. Um, you know, the, the big story of the day today, if it had happened 10 years ago, would have been the big story of the day 10 years ago. Okay. Um, so I don't know that, that the actual appetite has changed much as, as much as just the way that people are consuming news has changed. Um, the, the fact that instead of having to wait until that you know, evening deadline to get the day's news, that you have it instantly at your fingertips, I think is what is changing things more than the actual appetite for the information itself. So it's the immediacy. Yes. As and, opposed to the content. Yes, absolutely. And I think that we, we've made a big push to do that. I mean, we have a, a significantly larger digital team than I think probably any television station did five or 10 years ago. And that's always our goal. I mean, we send somebody out to a scene and we say, hey, we need you to get information to us, relay it back here as soon as you can so that we can get something out. We can send a push alert and we can get it in people's hands as soon as we can. And before, you know, 10 years ago, you got to the scene, you got the information, you wrote a script, you waited till five o'clock, and then you put it on the news. And, uh, you know, it, there's no more waiting until five o'clock. And if you were a backpack, you brought it back and edited it yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ramsey, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Today in our series about local news, we've talked to Ramsey Fulbright, assignment desk manager of WCPO in Cincinnati, about the logistics of local television news. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate or review our podcast through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about one of our podcasts or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone.